Can you hear me now? Good. Thank you for coming. Um, before we begin our actual presentation, I have been asked by my publisher to do this, so forgive me. Um, but uh, uh, you may have seen on the book table this little volume, the Science and Religion Primer, which I co-edited with a colleague. Um, and it's a resource that I actually really like. It's inexpensive. Uh, I have asked my students to purchase it uh, for our research methods and statistics class so that uh, we can uh, get through philosophy of science stuff without um, having to go back and explain all the jargon. And this gives them a context. It's pretty accessible. Um, and it is for sale on the book table. And I have a little uh, brochure here that um, I'm going to just uh, pass around the room. And if you want a copy, feel free to grab it and, um, and then uh, um, it's got a web page. You can get more information about it, colleagues um, and friends, and so on. So that's my little ad. All right, now to the topic at hand. Um, Heather and I are uh, both professors at the King's University College in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. And um, I'm a psychologist, a biological psychologist by training. Uh, Heather is a biologist with focus on human genetics. Uh, and we come to this topic uh, with interest both out of our fields of expertise and out of our personal experience. Longing for a child and not being able to bear one is a deeply painful and personal experience. When you and your spouse have difficulty conceiving a child, you have decisions to make. Will you seek assistance? Will it be medical? To what extent will you seek that assistance? What procedures or options will you pursue? How you answer these questions will be influenced by many different things. They can include government and medical policy and practice in the region where you reside. For example, in Canada and some provinces, uh, you can get uh, taxpayer funding for uh, in vitro fertilization in other provinces you can't and I don't know what the situation is financially in the US. Um, your financial resources. Am I still on here? Okay. Uh, information about risks and success rates. The values within your community or your subculture about having or not having children uh, and how to obtain them. Your own personal values. And for people of faith, presumably the position of your faith tradition and your local faith community. There's a lot of excellent, nuanced, uh, and thoughtful uh, scholarly work and public policy discussion about the use of reproductive technology. A lot of that's been talked about in ASA conferences in the past as well. Um, it's wonderful stuff. But how much of it are the people who actually make decisions about reproductive technology, um, how much of it are they aware of? And even if they are aware of it, how much of it is relevant and useful to them? Um, and the people who are making these decisions are the people who are trying to conceive the children and the people that are helping them in that journey. Faith traditions including many Christian denominations, have appointed committees and task forces and develop resources about and guidelines for the use of reproductive technology. 
In our experience with the Reformed, that's my background, and the Mennonite, that's Heather's background, um, traditions, little of this work um, has had an impact on the people actually making these decisions. In fact, it's difficult as an ordinary person to access some of these resources. There's virtually no commentary from the pulpit or adult education classes on these topics. What is available to the ordinary person is uh, a lot of um, accessible support material, uh, devotionals, uh, information about techniques and success rates, um, and uh, a lot of uh, books and websites and so on that help you work through the emotional dimensions of this experience. There appears to be, though, very little connection between the more abstract um, general uh, policies and uh, scholarly discussions about reproductive technology and the lived experience of people who um, are needing to make choices about it. In an ideal world, we might hope that the uh, infertile couple or individual might find themselves at a nexus where they are getting information, support, and guidance from both the higher level discussions, um, more abstract discussions, I should say, um, and from the uh, um, more direct, immediate personal support and information. Um, it is our impression from reading the literature on this topic that there is in North America relatively little sense that couples are embedded in communities that there are these multiple um, facets and implications to their decisions about reproductive technology. Um, little sense that it would be valuable to experience yourself as rooted in a rich and wise tradition that might provide guidelines. Little sense of decision making as emerging from or affecting or accountable to a community. In our reading of the literature, the strongest cultural value uh, with relate, in relation to reproductive technology that emerges is uh, individualism. In other words, if we want children, it's our choice and it's our personal journey. So, we've read the literature, we've had our own experiences. These things seemed uh, to uh, be emerging for us, but of course, as scientists, we really wanted to ask the question directly, what roles do personal faith and faith community actually play in Christian couples' decision-making about reproductive technology? And a preliminary analysis is here for good reason, as we will explain to you uh, shortly. Um, why do we want to know this? Why do we think this is important? Well, All this energy that is going into scholarly work and policy discussions about reproductive technologies is uh, energy that's wasted if um, it has no impact on the actual decisions of real people who are actually using these procedures or not using these procedures. And so 
we found a, a gap in the literature. That is that there is this general literature that talks ethically, economically, philosophically, theologically about reproductive technology. And then there is um, material for people who are facing these decisions that basically says, here are the techniques, you pick which one you want to use, and yeah, we know it's a rough emotional ride, so we'll uh, hear some devotions to help you pray your way through it. And those are needed resources and they're important, but somehow there has been very little exploration of whether or not there is that connection that I showed you in a previous slide between these things. Um, if these scholarly conversations are going to make a difference, then uh, we need to understand whether and if so how people facing these decisions are actually accessing this information. So we envision couples, at least at the start of our study, we envision couples as sitting at the nexus of uh, overlapping or concentric um, spheres of influence. There is, of course, their personal faith, um, and uh, that's uh, an internal thing, but also in their relationship. Um, embedded within a faith community of some sort or another, which nourishes their faith and informs it. Uh, the formal position of the uh, denomination or faith in which their community resides. And then, of course, the broader social context, which uh, constrains limits and, and, and um, promotes certain values about reproductive technology. In the data that we're going to be reporting to you today, we are focusing mainly on the three inner circles. Um, and uh, while the interview material we have is incredibly rich, we're having to be selective about what we share with you um, for interest of time and focus. Um, we are going to look for um, the interactions and influences, if any, um, among a couple's personal faith, their faith community, and the formal positions of their churches um, as they make their journey through reproductive technology. All right, I'd like to tell you more specifically about the study that we've undertaken. It's been very interesting for Heather and I to embark on a qualitative study. It's generated already in its preliminary form a lot of data for us to analyze and we are using a qualitative approach uh, where we look at the data, we go through the interview material basically line by line and we have some software to help us, Atlas software. And we look for themes that emerge. And as these themes emerge using grounded theory, they help to shape what we are learning and then refine the questions we use to ask in further interviews. We have only begun this process. So far we have dealt with eight individuals, uh, four couples in interviews. But we felt it was an excellent time to present the material to perhaps get a little bit of feedback on the process, um, wisdom from other people who may have some experience in this area before we go ahead to do additional interviews. We're hoping to do um, at least 25 interviews. The participants in our study are Christian married heterosexual couples. And these are couples who have faced infertility and dealt with making decisions about using reproductive technology. 
As I mentioned, we have four couples, and each of these individuals has been interviewed separately, not as a couple. As well, each of them has completed a survey with information about their background, their medical journey, and so on. And they definitely come from um, a variety of experiences. Just a quick survey of the demographics of our participants. You can see their relative ages and quite a range in length of marriage. They have diverse faith backgrounds. And uh, what was quite interesting for us was the relative importance of their personal faith and their faith community, which we asked them to rank on um, a scale. And it's not, it's not quite uh, the, the, the importance of personal faith, which you see in the red diamond there, was actually even more further to the left, extremely important. Um, on average to everyone. The faith community, which you see in the green diamond, was also a little bit further over towards the extremely important side, but not as important as the personal faith in every single case, as a matter of fact. Just to give you a little overview of the diversity of experiences that our couples had, um, all of them had used birth control before attempting to have children. And as it turned out, at the time of um, interview, many of them had had infertility diagnoses of a variety of different things and had made different decisions about treatments, uh, some of which are listed here, including choosing to do no treatment at all as a response uh, to their situation. Um, when we interviewed the couples, one of them already had a set of twins that had been conceived using reproductive technology. One of the couples were expecting a set of twins. Uh, a third couple, which was not pregnant when we did the interviews, has since conceived. And one of the couples um, decided not to pursue treatment and remained childless. Now I'm going to proceed to um, look at some of the themes that came out of our interview questions. We asked a series of questions in these five basic areas, starting with basically an overview of the medical journey that uh, the individuals had been on. We were especially interested in probing their personal responses and asking them how they made the decisions that they did make in response to their situation the influence of their family and faith communities, and also their knowledge and use of the positions that were available from their own denomination uh, or Christian resources generally about using reproductive technologies. Finally, we asked every individual to share with us how they thought the, the faith community could or should respond in a helpful way to people uh, going through the experience of infertility. So, now I'm going to present to you um, a series of themes that we pulled out of our interviews. And for each of them, you will see in the italic print actual excerpts from the interviews that we, that we did. In some of the cases, numbers are indicated when we could 
with some degree of certainty uh, assign a number to a particular theme. Sometimes they are not because there's a diversity of answers. So the first one is that infertility is certainly a difficult and very lonely experience. And I'll just give you a moment to read the, uh, the responses. It was not always seen as a trauma particularly traumatic or difficult, and some people felt it was just something to be accepted. And very often, the emotion of anger was expressed, in, both in our male and female respondents. This was a, a good representative quote about that. It was, uh, it was an experience that impact couples' relationships in every case. And three out of the four couples specifically mentioned that it had strengthened their relationship going through the experience of infertility. Uh, none of them felt it had made them feel further apart, but it was always considered a major issue for their relationship as a couple. We found that to be true of couples at different stages in their marriage as well, early as well as later on. This one was a unanimous. All participants found support from their families or friends, particularly from families and often, but not always, from parents. So different, different individuals reported different family members being more or less supportive. The first one there, our parents and siblings were very supportive and understanding to the best of our abilities. Actually, they continued to say, but when you haven't experienced infertility, you just can't understand. So although they did find the support, um, it wasn't always that they felt the families completely understood what they were going through. It was interesting to know to what degree individuals shared about their experience. They did so with their families and friends uh, and with their faith communities to variable degrees. None of them overtly announced their situation in their faith community, like putting it in a bulletin or, or making a public announcement about it. Not surprisingly, each respondent indicated personal faith as a very important factor in influencing their decisions. Everything else fails in comparison. Prayer was usually a part of the experience, personal prayer or having prayer from others in their faith community, their parents or leaders.
There was an interesting response in the sense of how the faith community did respond to their situations. Some felt it was fairly positive even when their details were not known in the community. Some were afraid that there might be negative reactions. There were also reported some experiences of pain and misunderstanding within faith communities. One, one couple were able to, to chuckle about the visit that they had quite a few years ago from an elder who had talked about having a quiver full of arrows as a blessing. Another couple looked on the internet and felt some negative or difficult comments there about Christians pursuing reproductive technology options. Here's another 8 out of 8. All of our participants um, did not have an awareness of official church positions in their denomination relating to reproductive technology. At the same time, most of them did not actively pursue finding out if there was any. And finally, in looking at what the church should do, the participants definitely saw their situations as highly individualized and were not wanting generalizations from the church. They did not want the church to make prohibitions about specific technology choices that they were considering. But they were looking for the church to be supportive by listening in a non-judgmental way. At the bottom it says, um, I would really hope from our church that is that they would certainly be there and be informed if we had another miscarriage or two or God forbid three and hopefully mostly pay attention to that when we aren't there for a little while because of this, that or the other thing happening. Individuals also expressed a desire that the church could possibly provide some information, to also provide an opportunity to connect with others who had gone through their type of experience and to be supportive. So just to summarize the themes, infertility is a private and emotional journey. Individuals do share with their family and friends and their faith communities, but not quite as much. They definitely make decisions based on personal values informed by faith, but faith understood in an individual sense, and they don't have a broader awareness of what the church positions are. They do believe the church or faith community can have a broader role by providing information and support, but definitely not to be judgmental. Okay, 
That was very much a, a brief summary of some of the themes in the interviews, and uh, they, um, it, there was a lot more there. And so uh, as we make comments and so on, we're also aware of the richer texts that we're drawing from. And uh, if you're thinking, well, what's your evidence for that, please feel free to ask, and we can uh, add to uh, the evidence we presented to you. So what, what are our uh, tentative conclusions? And these are really tentative conclusions because we've interviewed eight people. Um, and uh, you know, most of you are scientists, and so you know that that's uh, hardly going to be viewed as a representative sample, um, although we did our best to try to get a reasonably diverse uh, set of people. Uh, qualitative research does draw on small samples um, because the uh, materials are so rich. Uh, but the grounded theory process involves us uh, taking these emerging themes that we got from the people we interviewed and to probe them more deeply in subsequent interviews. Um, and so our present conclusions are highly tentative and need to be confirmed or disconfirmed with future um, interviews. So what have we learned? Uh, first of all, couples seem to, uh, both individually and collectively, uh, be, uh, feel that they make their own decisions about reproductive technology, decisions that are influenced by their personal faith, but uh, as, as several of them said, um, you know, it, it, they believe that they're making these decisions as Christians, but they didn't want the church to tell them how Christians ought to think about these things because they had figured out um, for themselves as Christians how to think about these things. And in fact, some of, a couple of them even made comments like, I don't want to hear what the church has to say because I'm scared they're going to tell me that it, you know, the choice that I made is not the one the church wants to support. Um, people generally found support from family and close friends and not from their church communities. And uh, they didn't even uh, really want counseling from the fertility clinics that they attended. Um, with respect to the uh, upper circle here, the uh, official church policies, uh, government policies, uh, high-level discussions, scholarly, uh, um, uh, philosophical, uh, uh, and so on work, um, there was virtually no awareness of this material. And this was a relatively highly educated group of people that we interviewed. Um, so if you know, it was possible to find this stuff out, these were people who would have. There was virtually no awareness. Um, there was a little bit of interest in learning what might be out there, but not very much felt need to find out what was out there for their own personal journey. And so it's as if there's just a disconnection between what we as scholars do when we uh, do ethics and, and philosophy and theology and, and so on about this stuff and what people actually um, are going to do with it. Uh, we may really be sitting in ivory towers, um, isolated from the real world of uh, people dealing with infertility. So if we get back to our um, uh, overlapping circles here, um, we can say that play, personal faith does play a role for couples, but less explicitly than we had thought. Also, some of our participants seemed to feel that the decision to have children was taken for granted, and they were simply looking for a technical means to achieve it. And I want to quote to you from one of our participants here. Um, as far as we're concerned, we're making use of technology the same way you turn your light bulbs on. You need help seeing in the dark. We need some help seeing in the dark, as it were. So we're not changing anything. We didn't have them select the eye color or any sort of that. They just take out what we need, put it together, put it in. 
It's, you know, somebody built your house. A mechanic worked on your car because you don't know what you're doing. You need help with it. What's the difference? If we had gone through and selected the gender and eye color and all these abilities and done genetic modifications, then that's a whole different story, but we didn't. We, piece A, piece B, whole C. People also shared much less with their faith communities than might be expected, given ideals of Christian community. Their experience was very individual, very personal. Uh, the faith community had little impact and official church positions, none at all. Some did express a sense of awareness that bearing children occurs in a social context that has broader implications. This is a, a, something that we want to explore more fully in future interviews. But generally, the uh, sense that we got from the people we interviewed was uh, the attitude, if we want or don't want children, that's our choice. Oh, I did that funny. Uh, Go away. What we would like from you in presenting this preliminary work is feedback. Um, we've been doing our hunting through the databases, on the web, reading the literature, and so on. But um, uh, this stuff is difficult to track. And so if you know of uh, church-based ministries uh, for uh, people dealing with infertility, we want to hear from you. Uh, we'd like to know what sorts of ministries they are. Are they emotional support? Do they provide information? Do they provide guidelines? Let's make sure that you follow church policy in your decisions. Um, other resources for Christians facing infertility that you might be familiar with that go beyond emotional support, devotionals, or medical information, but in fact um, uh, may be accessible to the lay person and may uh, take the scholarly discussions and um, make them useful and available. If you know of such, we would like you to tell us. Um, please, we've got our email addresses here. Um, please uh, feel free to contact us with uh, information, or if you or someone you know would like to participate in our research, um, we need people for subsequent interviews. We can do them over the telephone, um, and uh, we would be delighted to hear from you. We thank you for your attention, um, and we just want to acknowledge our participants who shared a very private journey with us in rich and vulnerable detail. Lots of tears were shed in these interviews. Um, the King's University College for funding our work, and our uh, ABLE research assistant who belaboredly transcribed all of these interviews. Thank you very much. <laughs>